Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. The North Korean threat is one of the most urgent security challenges facing the United States. Yet for nearly, nearly three decades, successive Republican and Democratic administrations have pursued the seemingly elusive goal of North Korean denuclearization with little show for their efforts. The United States, along with allies and partners, has employed a variety of tools, including diplomacy, deterrence, and sanctions to persuade North Korea to abandon its illicit nuclear missile programs. In addition, Congress has done its part to strengthen the hand of the United States to confront the threat posed by North Korea. Last year, spearheaded by Senators Gardner and Menendez, the Foreign Relations Committee paved the way for Congress to pass unanimously the first North Korea-specific comprehensive sanctions and policy legislation. Signed into law by President Obama on February the 18th, 2016. However, no combination of incentives and disincentives has brought us any closer to ending the threat posed by North Korea. We could spend all day discussing the strengths and weaknesses of various combinations of tools and the reasons why past approaches have not yet yielded, have not yielded the desired result. There are many, including China's lax enforcement of multilateral sanctions. Yet the fact remains that the threat posed by North Korea has only grown more alarming. The past year, North Korea conducted over 20 missile launches and tested two nuclear devices, bringing its total number of nuclear tests to date to five. And in its recent New Year's address, Kim Jong-un claimed that North Korea was ready to launch an ICBM at any time. Pyongyang has increasingly appears to be on a trajectory to have the capability to launch an ICBM capable of reaching the continental United States, a missile that could possibly carry a miniature, miniaturized nuclear device. Something obviously uh, has to give. The current approach is not working, and the urgency of the North Korea threat necessitates that we spend some time thinking outside the box about U.S. strategy towards North Korea. For example, does the pursuit of North Korean denuclearization remain a realistic policy objective in the near term? Alternatively, should the United States consider a policy approach that proactively pursues regime change in North Korea by non-kinetic means? The recent defection of high-level North Korean diplomat of a high-level high North Korean diplomat suggests that there may be opportunities to exploit pockets of regime instability. In addition, should the United States be prepared to preemptively strike a North Korean ICBM on a launch platform? Of course, in spite of their shortcomings, diplomacy, deterrence, and sanctions remain important tools. And we should redouble our efforts to enforce sanctions and work with our Japanese and South Korean allies to strengthen deterrence capabilities. However, as we find ourselves staring down the barrel of a North Korean ICBM, we have an obligation to the American people to challenge existing assumptions and explore policy alternatives. I hope we're going to be able to have a thoughtful discussion today that outlines U.S. interest on the Korean Peninsula and, more importantly, provides the new administration with some food for thought as it shapes its approach to U.S.-North Korea policy in the coming months. I look forward to hearing from these witnesses, and I want to thank our ranking member uh, for allowing this hearing to take place for his cooperation a few moments ago, um, and look forward to his comments. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I share uh, the comments that you just said in regards to today's hearing. Thank you for having the hearing. Thank our witnesses for being here. And I think you've laid out the issues pretty clearly. It is clear that North Korea 
according to the statement of their leader, is in the final stages of testing launching the intercontinental ballistic missile. If North Korea is successful in launching an ICBM, it would be well on its way of joining China and Russia as the only countries that can directly target the United States with a nuclear weapon. I noticed that President Trump said, it won't happen. Does that mean we have drawn a red line? We know the consequences of drawing red lines. The chairman pointed out that we may have to consider military options. I understand that. But I am concerned about the role of our foreign policy when the President of the United States announces policies without having it properly vetted by the relevant agencies and the experts, recognizing the adverse consequences to some of his statements, and whether what he does, in fact, is legal. We saw that this past weekend on his executive order dealing with immigration and dealing with our refugee program. I've already commented on that, about how reckless and dangerous I think that executive order was. And I don't believe it's constitutional or legal, as we saw with Ms. Yates' comments. And then, of course, after she made her comments, she was readily fired by the President of the United States, not leading us any confirmed person in the Justice Department to exercise that important responsibility. We've tried isolation in the past, and it hasn't worked. We need to be engaged with other countries. And that's particularly true with North Korea. When we look at North Korea's capacity today, the amount of nuclear material it has, it has nuclear material that could produce hundreds of nuclear weapons. And now they are working on a delivery system that could threaten the continental United States. Our past policies under both Democratic and Republican administrations have not been successful in allowing us to prevent them from pursuing this nuclear objective. But it's clear to me that the United States alone has little chance of preventing North Korea from achieving uh, uh, its stated objective, uh, and that we need to work with other countries. And first and foremost is our reliance on the Republic of Korea and Japan. I'm glad that uh, Secretary Mattis, in his first foreign trip, is visiting our allies in that region. I think that's a very important uh, uh, statement and something that uh, we need to work with our allies. So let me just look, talk briefly about the underlying assumptions in North Korea and whether we can change those equations. First and foremost, will China ever join us in effectively preventing North Korea uh, from uh, having the economic benefits uh, that we've tried to prevent through the imposition of sanctions? Will they stop their importing of Korean coal? Uh, that is uh, an area that we have to change the equation. And can we convince China that it's in their security interests for a non-nuclear Korea peninsula? And how do we change that equation so that they can work effectively with us? We need to know whether North Korea wants and needs to rejoin the international community. Many of us think that North Korea has made the assumption that they can continue to go down this road. We have to change that equation so that North Korea has incentives to give up its nuclear program. And is there still time on our side? I think we all are concerned that time is working against us as North Korea continues these activities. Um, we, 
we also need to know that if North Korea enters into an agreement, they'll live up to it. The 1994 framework agreement had many problems. It, it, it didn't limit North Korea's stockpile of fissile material for an eight-year period. During, but we have to see whether we can get agreements that, in fact, can be carried out. So, uh, Mr. Chairman, I want to strengthen our alliances with our partners. We need leadership in the United Nations on tough uh, sanctions. We need robust and rigorous actions to fully implement and enforce H.R. 757. I want to thank Senator Gardner and Senator Menendez for their leadership on that. We now need to make sure it's enforced. And we have to need to make sure the U.N. sanctions are enforced. And we have to find out when is the appropriate time for sustained diplomatic efforts because we always would prefer to solve these problems through diplomacy uh, rather than through force. Lastly, North Korea has many problems in addition to, to its nuclear uh, program. It's a country that ranks at the bottom of the world in its respect for human rights and the development of its own people. Uh, we need to be mindful that whatever program we have in North Korea, it also needs to be focused on the people of North Korea, which gives us the greatest chance for a stable regime someday for the people of North Korea. Thank you. And uh, Senator Gardner, I want you to know uh, I highlighted your efforts uh, with Menendez uh, last year, too, and, and uh, want to thank you for that and your, your uh, strong interest in this area. With that, our first witness today is Dr. Nicholas Eberstadt. Correct spelling? Naming, excuse me. Henry Went Chair at the Political Economy at the American Enterprise Institute. Thank you so much for being here. Our second witness is Mr. Scott Snyder, Senior Fellow for Korea Studies and Director of a Program on U.S.-Korea Policy at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, we respect uh, the organizations you represent. I know these are your own individual comments. Uh, your written testimony will be uh, entered into the record. Uh, you, you are free to uh, to make shorter comments, hopefully under five minutes, and we will then ask questions. But thank you both for being here. If you would just begin in the order uh, you were introduced. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, distinguished members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I am honored to be invited to discuss the gathering threat North Korea poses to the United States, our allies, and the international community, and what we can do to respond to this. Uh, I just wish in these remarks to make a few main points. Uh, first, North Korea is continuing down steadily, methodically, and relentlessly on a path whose intended endpoint is a credible capacity to hit New York and Washington with nuclear weapons. Secondly, America's policy for nuclear nonproliferation in North Korea is a prolonged and thoroughly bipartisan failure. Uh, third, our North Korea policy is a failure because our public and our leaders do not understand our adversary and his intentions. Uh, fourth, we cannot hope uh, to cope successfully with the North Korea threat until we do. And fifth, any successful effort to make the North Korean threat smaller will require not just better understanding of this adversary, but also a coherent and sustained strategy of threat reduction informed by such an understanding. Uh, seeing the DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, for what it is rather than what we would like it to be obliges us to recognize two highly unpleasant truths. First, the real existing North Korean leadership, as opposed to the imaginary version that some Westerners would like us to negotiate with, will never willingly give up their nuclear option. 
Acquiescing in denuclearization would be tantamount to abandoning its mission of Korean reunification, which is to say disavowing the DPRK's very raison d'etre. Second, international entreaties can never succeed in convincing the DPRK to relinquish its nuclear weapons program. Sovereign governments simply do not trade away their vital national interests. Quite simply, this means that engagement can never produce a denuclearization of the real existing North Korea. It is time to set aside the illusion that we can somehow engage North Korea into denuclearizing and to embrace instead a paradigm that has a chance of actually working. Call this threat reduction. Through a coherent long-term strategy, working with allies and others, but also perhaps acting unilaterally, the United States can blunt and then mitigate and eventually help to eliminate the killing force of the North Korean state. Uh, note, by the way, that we do not need Pyongyang's approval or assent to proceed with threat reduction, unlike engagement. In broad outline, North Korea threat reduction requires progressive development of more effective defenses against the DPRK's means of destruction while simultaneously weakening Pyongyang's capabilities for supporting both conventional and strategic forces. I describe some of the elements of such an approach in my statement. A more effective defense against the North Korean threat would be required, for example. Weakening the DPRK's military economy, the foundation for all its offensive capabilities, would surely also be in order. Diplomacy also has a role in this approach. Then there is the China question. China has been allowed to play a double game with North Korea for far too long, and it is time for Beijing to begin to pay a penalty for all its support for the world's most odious regime. Human rights promotion must also figure in our threat reduction strategy. If North Korean subjects enjoyed greater human rights, the DPRK killing machine could not possibly operate as effectively as it does today. And this brings us to the last item preparing for a successful reunification with a post-DPRK peninsula. The Kim regime is the North Korean nuclear threat. That threat will not end until the DPRK disappears. We cannot tell when or how this will occur, but it is not too soon to commence the wide-ranging and painstaking international planning and preparations that will facilitate divided Korea's long-awaited reunion as a single peninsula free and whole. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Mr. Schneider. Uh, Mr. Chairman and committee members, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. Uh, I find much uh, with which I agree in the opening statements of Senator Corker and Senator Cardin. Uh, in my statement, I argue that the window of opportunity to achieve North Korea's peaceful denuclearization may have closed and that Kim Jong-un has decided, based on lessons from Iran, Iraq, and Libya, that North Korea must be too nuclear to fail. Moreover, he intends to threaten the United States with a direct nuclear strike capability, a development that would heighten the risk and likelihood of military conflict. My recommendations are designed to minimize the risks of miscalculation on both sides, and I have focused on ways of avoiding unintended consequences arising from the, some of the steps that we must take to address North Korea's nuclear challenge. To minimize miscalculation and underscore the urgency of the North Korea issue, I recommend that the President appoint a senior and trusted special envoy to comprehensively mobilize U.S. government resources, strengthen alliance solidarity with South Korea and Japan, 
separate the North Korea issue from other contentious issues in the U.S.-China relationship and ensure that we can back our words toward North Korea with credible actions. As North Korea attempts to underscore that time is not on the side of the United States through its provocations and crisis instigation, the United States must avoid falling into the traps of acquiescence to a nuclear North Korea or premature unilateral military actions that might help North Korea to break U.S. alliances. The United States must strengthen alliance cohesion while preparing for North Korean instability. General Mattis' decision to visit U.S. allies in South Korea and Japan later this week as his first foreign destinations following his assumption of office sends a badly needed message of assurance and resolve to our allies at a time of transition and uncertainty in both Washington and Seoul. While China's cooperation is necessary to place needed pressure on North Korea, we must also recognize that North Korea lives in the space created by Sino-U.S. strategic mistrust. This means that China's inadequate enforcement of sanctions will never meet U.S. expectations due to differing American and Chinese strategic interests on the peninsula. An unintended consequence is that North Korea's supply chain has become embedded in illicit Chinese procurement networks. While continuing to pressure China to enforce sanctions, the United States will have to use secondary sanctions on Chinese partners of North Korea if it hopes to stop North Korea's nuclear and missile parts procurement. Tougher sanctions are also necessary to block North Korea's nuclear and missile development, but an unintended consequence of sanctions is that they reinforce the isolation and opacity that have enabled the Kim regime to survive by bolstering unity among North Korean elites. I recommend that we erode Kim Jong-un's internal support base by making the argument that North Korean elites can have a better future outside the regime than in it, and by increasing the incentives and pathways for them to exit North Korea. We should prioritize eroding the regime's isolation by promoting information inflow and impose transparency by supporting and publicizing the powerful indictment of the Kim regime's human rights practices contained in the report of the UN Commission of Inquiry on Human Rights in North Korea. Thank you. Thank you both for your testimony. Um, I'm going to reserve my time for interjections and turn to our distinguished ranking member, Ben Cardin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank both of you for your observations. Uh, it's, it's not very encouraging, your observations, but I think it's a, an accurate assessment. So I, I want to get to how we can change the equation for North Korea. They're not going to do it voluntarily. We continue down the current path. They're going to stay the way they are. Uh, you mentioned that we want to minimize their development of conventional and strategic weapons. Yeah. That requires strengthening the sanction regime, making sure it's enforced, and moving towards secondary sanctions. That cannot work unless China cooperates. And we have not seen China anxious to join us in tightening the economic sanctions against North Korea or tightening even their ability to uh, be able to obtain strategic and conventional weaponry. So how do we change the equation with China? We also, I might add, we have the challenges of the President Trump in his comments with China have not exactly been as warming as he has to other uh, countries in the world. What would you recommend? Uh, it, it, can we change the equation for China that will make a difference to North Korea? And if so, how do we go about doing that? 
Well, I think this is really the nub of the challenge uh, that, uh, that we face in terms of uh, any kind of enforcement uh, related to uh, sanctions on North Korea. Uh, and it's a critical task in order to um, have the opportunity to change Kim Jong-un's uh, direction, which is absolutely essential. Uh, but the problem is that we need China uh, to uh, enforce sanctions, but they're never going to do it uh, sufficiently uh, to bring us to the point where, North, where Kim Jong-un is going to make that strategic decision. And so we need something extra. Uh, I think you, you think we can work around China, we can do it without China? No, I think we have to do it uh, with China, but also uh, go beyond. Uh, I, don't, I don't follow what you're saying. It, it, it going beyond China, tell me specifically what you mean, doing without um, China. I, I believe that secondary sanctions uh, on um, Chinese partners of North Korea will be necessary uh, in order to um, bring... We could do that without China's cooperation? I think that we should... Uh, I, I think where it concerns our direct national interest, uh, then it's going to be a necessity for us to pursue... Uh, defensive measures and sanctions that are designed to stop so, this impending threat. So, because China is not cooperating, we're going to have to treat China as an adversary. No, I want to cooperate with China, and I want to do more. Uh, I'm not sure I exactly understand. You're saying China is not going to work with us. We're going to impose secondary sanctions on their companies. They're going to complain about that, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, I think that uh, where we can make a compelling case that there is a direct threat from North Korea, that China is not assisting us in um, uh, neutralizing. You haven't seen this before. China has not been open to these types of suggestions in the past. At least I have not seen it. They'll take it to a certain extent. They don't want to jeopardize, as they see, the stability of the North Korean regime. Uh, so it appears to at least some of us that they're prepared to have a nuclear North Korea. So therefore, it appears to us that they're not willing to take it to the next step. I, I yes. agree with that. Senator Cardin, um, it's always a little bit of a headache for me to understand the Chinese government's actual calculations about the DPRK because the government uh, makes its relationship so very opaque with North Korea. There's very, very little transparency for outsiders. My own... Uh, conclusion in trying to examine Chinese behavior with North Korea is that the Chinese government is happy to have an unhappy relationship itself with North Korea so long as the relationship is even unhappier for the United States and U.S. allies, a kind of a net-net situation. Um, given that, if that is correct, uh, I think that there may be some scope for uh, increasing penalties and disincentives for China uh, that might make the Chinese government more interested in cooperating with us. I mean, one example, uh, Scott Snyder was talking about secondary sanctions. We can look back at the, uh, we can look back at the example of the what led up to the Banco Delta Asia affair. Uh, with the s threat of secondary sanctions in the financial area, the Chinese government suddenly became very interested in preventing uh, illicit money laundering with, uh, with DPRK. Uh, there are other areas outside of sanctions, outside of sanctions that may actually help to possibly encourage Chinese uh, performance. Um, reputational issues. 
for example, in the, uh, in the forum of the United Nations or other places, we can take a position uh, which uh, forces China into ownership, into reputational ownership for their odious support of the DPRK. China has many interests internationally, and um, the DPRK is only one of them. Thank you, I appreciate that. I, 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 I do wanna just get on the record. If North Korea moves towards establishing its nuclear capacity as far as weapons, isn't it more likely that the Republic of Korea and Japan may very well start to show some interest in a nuclear capacity themselves? Very possibly so, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, sir. Senator Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Eberstadt, you've uh, pretty well laid out a strategic planning process here. Start with reality. Based on the reality, uh, establish goals, then develop a strategy. So the reality is pretty bleak. Uh, it has been a bipartisan failure because we haven't, we've been denying reality. Uh, I think both of you gentlemen are saying that diplomacy really is not going to work. We're going to either have to defend ourselves or we're going to have to put pressure on the elite uh, create pain for them because, let's face it, this regime has inflicted and is willing to inflict all kinds of pain on, on the general population. They just don't care because they want that, those nuclear weapons. So let me start with the elite. Uh, how do we inflict the kind of pain on the elite to get them to defect to potentially result in the fall of the regime? Yeah, Mr. Everstadt. Well, Senator Johnson, uh, I, th I think that uh, we've got a real helper in uh, dear respected leader Kim Jong-un who executed his uncle and showed that there was no safe space even within the royal family for people at the top if they uh, crossed the supreme leader. Um, he, uh, with other purges and other executions, he may already have damaged the cohesion of the upper ranks of his regime more than we appreciate. But it's a black box, so we can only speculate about that. Again, we should probably try and create as much pain for the elites, but also give them a way to escape. Absolutely. That, that makes sense. Uh, Mr. Schneider, you, you agree with that assessment? Uh, yes. In fact, I advocated some measures to uh, augment our efforts in that area uh, in my written testimony. Uh, short of military strikes against their nuclear facilities, um, they're going to continue to develop their nuclear capability. Uh, they're also going to continue to deliver or they're develop their delivery capability. That, that's something we can potentially do something about. We, we have, to my knowledge, we've never knocked out one of their missile tests, correct? What is the fear? I mean, I think I know what it is, but I mean, describe what, what is our concern about doing that? Is that may be something this next administration ought to draw a red line and say, we're not going to allow you to test a capability to deliver those nuclear weapons to America. Sir, I think the immediate fear is the city of Seoul, which is uh, right across the border from the DPRK and is uh, virtually undefended against artillery uh, and weapons of mass destruction. Of course, there would be other targets as well, but that's a huge population center nearby. Um, in dealing with the question of uh, shooting down a missile test, um, it wouldn't be a one-off. I think the North, whatever else one will say about the North Korean side, uh, they present a rather freakish face to the world, but they are uh, not crazy and not irrational, and they give a great deal of thought to their re regime self-preservation. Everything that we do in interacting with them, they themselves have gamed through a hundred times. 
they go into great preparations. And we, I think, would need to have a comparable level of preparation and thought to each one of our moves in countering the DPRK in a strategy. So again, let's, but let's go back to the reality. They're not going to give up their nuclear capability. They're going to continue to uh, improve it, develop it. They're going to continue to improve their missile capability. And the way they improve the missile capability is to keep testing it. As long as we allow them to keep testing their missile capability, at some point in time, they have the ICBMs or the satellite capability to you know, load a nuclear weapon on there and threaten us. Sir, um, my assessment is that the North Korean government for decades has been methodically preparing to fight and win a limited nuclear war against the United States in the Korean Peninsula. I know that sounds like Dr. Strangelove. I know, I know what that sounds like, but I believe that- Let me just stop you. Are you talking about theater, theater nuclear weapons? A, a, a nuclear showdown with the United States in which the United States, in this hypothesis, would blink. When the United States blinks in this hypothesis, the alliance with South Korea is finished, and maybe the alliance with Japan is finished as well. Um, of course, this means that addressing every step of further increase in North Korean nuclear capabilities is important, but I was suggesting that we can't do this as a one-off. We, we have to have our plan in line to counter the next step that they will be taking. Okay, but again, the reality is diplomacy won't work. You know, short, short of really the regime falling and a new regime coming in that is willing to give up nuclear weapons, is there nothing we can do to prevent them from getting that missile capability to combine with the nuclear capability to threaten us? Mr. Schneider. Got four seconds. I think the strategy would really be one uh, that is designed to change the calculus of the leader and make him turn and change direction. And so it's really, I think, a menu of uh, economic pressures uh, that put uh, the survival of the regime at risk. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Just, uh, I mean, I think it was a great line of questioning. Um, and I don't think any of you really think secondary sanctions on Chinese companies is going to affect the trajectory of what's happening. So, I mean, I think what y'all are espousing is either some kind of kinetic intervention or regime change. And sanctions are basically a piddling effort that are not going to have the kind of impact that, uh, that we'd like to see. Even though we passed a very strong piece of legislation, um, it's piddling compared to, to the challenge that we have. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, sir. I, I, think that's, I think that sanctions are good as far as they go. It's better to have sanctions than not. Uh, and we can have more economic pressure than we have yet put on. The history of uh, coercive economic diplomacy, as you know, is pretty poor. Uh, sanctions generally haven't succeeded in their diplomatic objectives uh, by the countries that have been. But if, if, we, if, we, don't, if we don't either pursue some kind of kinetic activity, and as you mentioned, game it out properly, or we pursue regime change, they will in fact soon be able to deliver miniaturized nuclear weapon at long distances, is that correct? The outside world's understanding has always been a little bit iffy about this, but that certainly would be the expectation. That certainly would, that certainly would be the North Korean intention, would be to develop this capability. Senator Menendez, I filibustered long enough for you to be next in line. Mr. Chairman, I, I appreciate that, although uh, uh, 
I'm sure I'm sure my colleagues would have gone ahead. So uh, let me uh, let me thank you uh, for uh, having finally a policy discussion. I appreciate that. Uh, and North Korea is fitting and appropriate to be one of the first policy issues we have up because it is a real challenge to the national security of the United States and to critical allies. Uh, I was pleased to work with Chairman Gardner in the last Congress in the North Korea Sanctions and Policy and Enhancement Act. Uh, I was pleased to see the Treasury Department last year impose sanctions on a Chinese industrial company for using front companies to facilitate North Korea's nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs by evading sanctions. But it's clear, however, that much more must be done. And having caught some of the testimony in my office from between meetings, uh, it just strikes me at uh, uh, the nature of uh, your testimony and the issues we face. So um, I'd like to pursue one line uh, of uh, questioning with you, which is we have seen the impact of a robust multilateral uh, and secondary sanctions regi uh, regimes can have in curtailing a, a dangerous regime's uh, nuclear ambitions. In the case of Iran, years of targeted sanctions, particularly prohibitions on banks facilitating businesses with Iran, were instrumental in getting Iran to change its calculus and come to the negotiating table. Do you think an approach that incorporates sanctions specifically targeting Chinese banks that facilitate transactions that directly benefit North Korea's nuclear program, ballistic missile development, or arms exporting would be effective? And what are uh, your views uh, in terms of the, that type of targeted sanction uh, as it relates to China? Uh, well, Senator, I think that it is probably, you know, in the area of the next step that one would have to look at. I think that the challenge um, really that we're talking about when we're talking about uh, cooperation with China and use of secondary sanctions, it's kind of like um, blowing up a balloon. Uh, and needing to have the balloon as full as possible and yet also requiring something additional to fill the space, some sharp instrument. And so you need to uh, fill the balloon without puncturing the balloon. Uh, and I think that secondary sanctions, if uh, judiciously employed, uh, can um, offer a deterrent effect uh, on Chinese banks because of the reputational risk uh, that they would incur. Uh, the challenge, of course, is at what level? Uh, and, and how would China respond? Uh, and so, you know, finding that balance uh, and really um, mm -hmm. finding ways to target uh, North Korean transactions without uh, suffering collateral impacts, I think, is the core challenge here. Doctor. Senator Menendez. Um, I, uh, I mentioned earlier uh, uh, in response to a question from Senator Cardin the whole example of the U.S. approach that led to the Banco Delta Asia uh, affair. Uh, I think that was an example of how secondary sanctions against Chinese, China and China, potentially against Chinese banks can be effective in changing Chinese policy towards the DPRK. When Chinese interests are threatened, China responds on the DPRK front. We've seen that in a separate realm in looking at THAAD, at the terminal high altitude air defense uh, question with South Korea. All of a sudden, China got real interested, if temporarily, in, uh, in North Korean economic relations. Um, my impression would be that, uh, that such an approach 
could reduce North Korea's capacity, its pace of nuclear development by reducing resources to North Korea, but it might not have any effect at all on North Korean objectives. Mm. So, uh, well, even reducing the pace at this time would buy us time for other policy considerations because the pace, it seems to me, is pretty precipitous. Let me ask you uh, one final thing. If, if President Trump indeed follows through on many of his threats to be tougher on China, what implications could a different kind of relationship with China have on our efforts to counter North Korea? Does an uncertain relationship with China calling for more vigorous responses to Chinese aggression on the one hand and threatening a trade war on the other embolden North Korea? I mean, I'm trying to think of that as, we, as I think about secondary sanctions, which I think actually, and it's always a question of calibration, uh, is important. Uh, but up to now, the Chinese have not been fully engaged with everything they could do to achieve the goal that we want, which is to get North Korea to change its path. By the same token, if we hear this new uh, relationship, challenging relationship with China, how does that affect the equation in your views? Um, I'm, I'm concerned that a more adversarial relationship with China could expand the space for North Korea to get away with a lot more. Uh, but at the same time, um, a certain element of uh, conflict is going to be inevitable because the U.S. and China simply have differing strategic objectives as it relates to North Korea. We have different bottom lines. Nor I, I completely agree with Scott about the difference in U.S. and uh, Chinese approaches uh, to DPRK. Um, the North Korean government is not good at a lot of things, but one thing they're really good at is gaming uh, other countries that they deal with and looking for spaces in which to uh, take advantage. Um, I, I suspect that uh, China can become a more responsible citizen in regard to North Korea, but only if it is uh, forced to bear a reputational cost for its sponsorship of that regime. Senator Gardner, I just before you ask your questions, I would like to just, you know, the UN Security Council has a Chapter 7 resolution against everything that they are doing. A Chapter 7 resolution is one that's uh, obviously the strongest and uh, in some cases has uh, been the thing that has been utilized relative to, to actual kinetic activities. But again, nothing is happening, and I, I personally don't think secondary sanctions are going to have an effect here. I just don't. I think it's either regime change or some other activity. Um, it seems to me that we're on a course that uh, is not going to be altered by, by sanctions, even though you guys have done an outstanding job in passing legislation towards that end. The Treasury has uh, worked in conjunction with that to, to uh, stronger enforcement. Senator Gardner. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, I do agree with Senator Menendez. The fact that this uh, full committee hearing, uh, our first time to discuss policy is on North Korea, I think highlights the importance of this issue to uh, the Senate and the work that we have before us over the next several years, and thank Senator Menendez for his leadership on the issue of North Korea as we work together uh, to try to bring some, uh, some coherent policies uh, to this denuclearization effort. Uh, I was pleased, of course, uh, with the committee hearing we held with the, the Secretary 
designate Rex Tillerson talking about his position on North Korea and efforts to be strong and to stand up to North Korea and to fully implement the uh, legislation that we passed unanimously through the U.S. Senate last year in regards to North Korea sanctions. Also pleased with the conversation that President Trump had with the acting president of South Korea, discussions uh, fully reiterating our uh, alliance and commitment to South Korea, as well as the conversation leading to the deployment of THAAD. I think THAAD is a very important piece of the strategic uh, actions that the United States needs to take, and I hope that that is uh, as expedient as possible in terms of uh, delivering, implementing, and um, getting the THAAD system up and running in South Korea. I also think it's important to recognize uh, Secretary Mattis's decision to make his first visit out of the United States to our ally in South Korea and Japan. I think that's very important. Uh, that shows, again, the, the priority uh, that we have as it relates to Pyongyang and our determination to make sure that our allies remain safe and secure and we denuclearize the peninsula. Uh, just an overall question. I mean, Chairman Corker brings up an interesting point about uh, the interests or desires of China, the, the impact or effect of secondary sanctions. Um, Here's an article that uh, talks about China unexpectedly boosted imports of coal from North Korea last month. This is even after Beijing slapped a temporary ban on shipments from its northern neighbor ahead of fresh UN sanctions that came into effect this month. It talks about how much coal imports increased last year despite the sanctions. The United Nations has uh, 2270 in place that China agreed to in late November. They agreed to, I think it was 23, well, another UNSCR talking about uh, further uh, limiting the the so-called livelihood exemption of coal. Is China even interested in a resolution of this? Does China want the North Korean regime to remain in place? Are, which concerns them more? A denuclearized regime with a unified peninsula or nuclear weapons in the hands of the DPRK? Which is the greater concern to China? Destabilization is clearly the greater concern for so, China. So uh, not nuclear weapons? They, I think, are, um, there's a limited agreement between the United States and China on the desirability of denuclearization, but for China, only within the bounds of maintaining stability. Dr. Everstead? I, I agree with Scott on that. Uh, we, have, we have only China's behavior to go by since uh, the Chinese government is so terribly opaque about its actual relationship with the DPRK. But if one tries to make sense of the behavior, it looks as if keeping a, uh, what would we call it, uh, keeping a zone of strategic defense in northern Korea is a, would seem to be a very, very important objective to Chinese government. And in that line of thinking, does China view our inability to denuclearize the regime as a way to weaken our alliance with South Korea and Japan and show weakness by the United States uh, in terms of our foreign policy? Are they more interested in that? On the on the net net basis that I discussed earlier, yes. If it's more of a problem for the United States than for China, then it would seem to be a plus in the calculus of the Chinese government, as far as I can make out. So recognizing that China isn't necessarily interested in denuclearizing the regime, uh, they would like to see that as long as uh, they keep this buffer uh, in place, or it's, uh, there's unity on the peninsula in a way that they desire. Uh, our secondary sanctions uh, have little effect or great effect? The secondary sanctions, I think, in some form are going to be necessary to try to hold China's feet to the fire. And let me just ask you this, though. We, there, there is no further action that Congress needs to take in order to apply any degree of sanctions on China or the North Korean regime, correct? The administration is fully empowered to take every sanction step necessary. There's no other authorization they need, correct? I think that uh, the legislation that you and Senator Menendez co-sponsored was quite comprehensive. And also under the Patriot Act. I mean, the secondary sanctions and the financial system, I think, could be, uh, could be tremendously powerful. 
And so moving forward, the regime, uh, a special envoy, or uh, I think it was you, Dr. S Mr. Snyder, that talked about uh, the need for a, a special envoy. Um, the, the, what areas should the Trump administration focus on first in terms of secondary sanctions in China? Uh, the obvious sectors uh, where China is falling short uh, and uh, that provide North Korea with economic sustenances, sustenance are in the uh, coal sector uh, and also in terms of uh, financial access to the Chinese banking system. Okay, so coal and banking. Uh, we can add additional sanctions on coal, uh, on banking, excuse me, on coal. Do you believe that China will adhere to the limit uh, they agreed to in the November UNSCR? on coal and the livelihood exemption cap? The initial record shows that they've already failed. Um, you know, the problem with the statistics that uh, we're all relying on and that I presented in my testimony is that they are official statistics provided by the government of China. Uh, and they may not include everything uh, that goes between North Korea and China. So if they've already failed the most recent UNSCR in November 2016, China, if they've already failed, uh, what measure can we take immediately at, at the United Nations? Uh, I think, Dr. Everstadt, you talked about uh, their reputation. What should we do with the United Nations immediately uh, to show China that uh, this is unacceptable? To begin with, uh, it seems to me that we have our priorities kind of backwards at the UN Security Council when we're dealing with DPRK questions. We always seem to be worried that the Chinese government uh, might veto something. Um, I think we should make China veto something 20 times in a row, see how they like it the 21st time. Um, it's, uh, it's the analogy to uh, Colin Powell's adage, uh, you broke it, you own it. Thank you. Senator Markley. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you both for your testimony. Uh, back in 2016, in response to North Korea's fourth prohibited nuclear test in January, and then the launch of a prohibited missile in February, there was the March Resolution 2270, and it had a, numerous provisions, uh, one of which was mandatory inspections of cargo passing to and from North Korea, and a, a second was to terminate banking relationships with North Korea's institutions. Uh, can you bring us up to date on how effectively either the mandatory inspections or the banking relationship ban have been enforced? I think there's still some holes. Uh, I believe that there probably are still uh, financial relationships, um, Chinese uh, banks that uh, have North Korean accounts. Uh, that uh, may be in violation of, of the resolution. Uh, and there are reports that uh, there may also be um, shipping activity um, between China and North Korea involving um, ships, North Korean ships that cut off their navigation system uh, and therefore are not uh, monitored uh, by the international community. So I had heard that in general, there had been a, quite a significant tightening on the banking side. Uh, is that, well, there may be still exceptions, that, that that part had been considered to be relatively successful. Is that, uh, do you not share that opinion? Just a short answer. I'm just not looking for full analysis of it here. I think there's more that can be done. Okay, and Mr. Everstadt? I, th I think it's only uh, met with limited success. 
Okay. I'd love to follow up and get a better understanding of, of that because I think it is relevant to what we consider uh, doing uh, in the future. And then uh, the, the issue of coal, uh, there, was, there were sectoral restrictions that were largely ignored under a, a loophole and which led to 2321 being passed late last year in no November that put a hard binding cap on coal exports, which is the largest source of revenue to North Korea. Uh, I don't believe we yet know how effective that is going to be, but uh, just looking at the December numbers, it doesn't look promising so far. Is that fair to say? Correct. Yes, sir. Um, it, it's, it's very curious that as China's uh, apprehension about the prospects of implementation of that in South Korea seem to be diminishing, their coal supplies to North Korea seem to be increasing. Coal supplies to? To North Korea. So originally, originally the exports. Ex exports, right. It's the exports. Okay. No, the, the commerce. The, uh, yes, the trade with North Korean yep. coal seems to be increasing. Okay. So if I was to turn to the North Korean perspective, if they are looking at U.S. intervention in Iraq in 2003 and, and uh, NATO's involvement in Libya in 2011, do either of those interventions affect their, their national perspectives on their nuclear program? And I think uh, the North Koreans have stated clearly that they have taken the um, Libya model uh, from their perspective as a reason why they need to hold on to their uh, nuclear weapons program. Because Libya had voluntarily retired its nuclear program under international assurances of non-aggression and in fact those, those assurances fell apart. Well, and the fact that the regime failed. Yeah, yeah. Or is that you share that point of view? Yeah, Libya is, Libya is one of the reasons that the DPRK regime explicitly points to in proclaiming its need to remain a nuclear power. So we have a, a couple of uh, tweets from our president regarding long-range missile tests, that whether missiles would be developed. I think the tweet was, it won't happen and uh, also expressing skepticism about uh, Chinese uh, partnership in the, the, the sanctions. Is it useful, are those are the tweets useful in setting out a presidential perspective or, or, or not? If I had confidence that they were backed by a whole of government strategy in order to be able to pursue the statements, then um, uh, I would feel much better about it. We really need a coherent strategy and a sustained strategy to make the threat smaller. I don't think we can do it with one-offs. Th thank you very much. I think that reinforces a point uh, Senator Cardin was making in the beginning about a coherent strategy. Thanks. If this is open mic time, we'll go. I'm kidding. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I do want to thank Senator Markley. I, I, on the Libya issue, to me it's Exhibit A that the regime didn't fail, we took the regime out. So they gave up their weapons of mass destruction. And what the whole world learned from that, which was why I thought it was a terrible, terrible period of time for U.S. foreign policy, is that what they learned from that, if you get rid of your weapons of nuclear, uh, excuse me, weapons of mass destruction, we will take you out. And that's what I think uh, he has learned very well, Senator Johnson. Senator Young. Thank you, Chairman, uh, and thank you for your testimony, gentlemen. Um, 
I just stepped back in, into the room. I, I, I gather one of you indicated that uh, eroding Kim Jong-un support base uh, by facilitating uh, more elite departures like those we recently saw uh, at, at, at the embassy there in the UK uh, was, was one tactic we should uh, continue to uh, exploit. Um, could you indicate some specific ideas uh, that uh, we, we might employ to get more of uh, the elites who, who surround and support Kim Jong-un uh, to, uh, to come our way? Yeah, I have two specific proposals cited in my testimony uh, related to that. Uh, one is the need for uh, especially South Korea uh, and others to present uh, for discussion and hopefully for uh, digestion by North Korean elites uh, what a, an integrated North Korean economy would look like without nuclear weapons. The fact of the matter is that this is the fastest growing economic region uh, in the world, uh, and they're only averaging something like zero to one percent growth. And the reason for the gap between the Chinese rate or the South Korean rate of growth and the North Korean rate of growth is North Korea's nuclear weapons program. Uh, additionally, uh, I would propose to uh, attach tangible rewards uh, for those defectors who leave North Korea who have been designated uh, under U.S. Uh, Treasury uh, sanctions uh, if they leave prior to the uh, end of the Kim Jong-un regime. I think it would be a worthwhile investment to provide that personal incentive. Thank you. There's a, uh, there's a wonderful little center called the uh, International Center for Nonviolent Resistance. The, uh, the important word is uh, resistance, nonviolence the adjective. Um, they have been trying to develop over the years playbooks for bringing down dictatorships. And their approach uh, focuses upon different practical methods that one can exploit and widen the cleavages within authoritarian closed societies. Um, they have a lot of suggestions for how to approach North Korea, even though the idea of exploiting these fissures may still seem remote at the moment. I would also mention, in addition to all of the sensible things that Scott has just suggested, that we uh, focus upon reunification planning as well. Because the whole question of what a free and peaceful post-DPRK North Korea will look like will have a great deal to do with uh, the behavior of uh, people who are currently in the North Korean elite. So uh, presumably uh, focus uh, with some measure of specificity on, on, on uh, this sort of planning could, could offer some comfort to the Chinese who have a real concern about instability in North Korea. Is it, would you agree with that assessment? Yes, sir. It, it, could, offer, it could offer some uh, clarity f uh, to Beijing. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly much of the policy would have to be based in Seoul since mm -hmm. The ROK presumably would be the sovereign uh, yeah. presiding over this area. We would be cooperating with that. But there are all sorts of signals that could be sent by such planning, like um, who is uh, who's charged with crimes against humanity and who's not in the post-DPRK sure. environment. 
Mr. Eberstadt, you mentioned THAAD and, and China's response and, and concerns related to uh, its uh, deployment uh, in South Korea. Should we continue to take additional steps like that in the region until China becomes more helpful on North Korea? Um, I, would, I would think by all means, sir, we should be uh, increasing the missile defense capabilities of the United States and of our allies. Uh, and I don't know that that necessarily should be a bargaining chip in negotiations with China if it concerns the security of our allies and the USA. If I could add, I agree that uh, use of missile defense should not be a tactic to try to change uh, China's approach. It's really a self-defensive measure that is essential uh, for us to be able to counter what North Korea is doing. And I think it's important uh, not to send a signal that it could be used as a tactic because it actually might encourage exactly the kind of behavior that we're seeing from China to uh, impose economic consequences on South Korea for adopting the missile system. I'll be submitting a couple of additional questions as my, my time runs out here related to uh, whether or not it serves a national security interest of the United States uh, to encourage additional countries uh, in the region from develop, developing a nuclear uh, capability. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Senator Markey. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Snyder, um, early last year, I voted for the North Korea Sanctions and Policy Enhancement Act. I believe that sanctions can offer a path for putting pressure on North Korea to return to negotiations aimed at denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula. However, at the time, I also warned on the Senate floor that plans to use preemptive force against North Korea's nuclear arsenal or its leadership could drastically increase the risk of inadvertent nuclear war. A few months ago in September, South Korea's defense minister informed the parliament that South Korea has forces on standby that are ready to assassinate Kim Jong-un if South Korea feels threatened by nuclear weapons. As he said then, South Korea has a plan to use precision missile capabilities to target the enemy's facilities in major areas as well as eliminating the enemy's leadership. If North Korea fears that South Korea intends to use preemptive force to kill its leaders, that could create pressures for Kim to delegate control over his nuclear weapons to frontline military commanders. This would be a highly destabilizing step. And if North Korea believes that South Korea plans to preemptively take out its nuclear weapons, that could put pressure on Kim to use his nuclear weapons or lose them. Mr. Snyder, can you share your view as to whether plans and statements focused on preemptive attacks against North Korea's leadership or its nuclear arsenal could actually increase the risk of nuclear escalation? Well, I think that there uh, are inherent risks uh, in escalation based on what, uh, on the strategy that North Korea uh, is pursuing. Uh, and it's important for U.S. and South Korea to uh, respond uh, in an alliance form uh, to that growing threat. Um, the one area I think where I have a slight, uh, where your statement actually uh, differs from my expectation is that I don't believe that North Korea is a regime in which the leader is going to delegate nuclear authority. Uh, it's a regime in which uh, Kim Jong-un is going to hold tight to that nuclear authority uh, and in fact he's using it as the basis upon which to uh, exert uh, and provide um, 
support uh, and legitimation for his rule. Okay, so you're saying that he he would never create an instruction to his uh, subordinates that in the event that he's dead, that the nuclear weapon should then just be used to annihilate the other side. You don't think he would ever leave instructions like that? Well, I, to be honest, I have not contemplated the, uh, and, and I don't think that we really have a way to know. In other words, uh, a doomsday machine that he creates, you know? Uh, uh, those are his instructions. The, the, you don't think the, he would ever do that? The, the absence of a line of authority would open up uh, all sorts of questions uh, about uh, the future of North Korea and uh, one of the issues that we've got to be very concerned about is the loose nukes issue. No, I, and I agree with that, but, um, you know, the, the strange Levian, you know, doomsday machine, you know, uh, aspect of this is very real. And, and, and I guess the larger point that I'm trying to make is should we, in fact, be talking in terms of preemptive attacks about, uh, against them? Do you, do you think that's a dangerous action for the United States or South Korea to be engaging in? Talk, talking? About, about preemptive oh, action against no, I, I, um, okay. against North Korea, North Korea, assassination of him, preemptive uh, attacks to take out his nuclear capability. Do you think that is a wise uh, position for the United States to be supporting? I support USROK military planning in order to deal with all scenarios, but uh, I, I take the point that it's probably not wise to uh, broadcast them publicly all the time. Or at any time, um, preemptive attempts to kill Kim Jong Il. Do you think there's is there is there any time we should be able to talk about that without fearing the law of unintended consequences being invoked? The the U.S. and South Korea need to uh, manage their planning in a quiet and effective way to deal with the whole range of scenarios. Okay, uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, sir, Senator Shaheen. Thank you, and thank you all very much for being here this morning and for your fascinating testimony. I, observers have suggested that um, North Korea may soon undertake some sort of a significant um, activity to provoke the new Trump administration. So whether that's a new um, nuclear test, uh, missile test, some sort of other attack um, is um, something that I have seen out there in reports. If that were to happen, what options do you think the new administration should consider in responding to that kind of an action? Um, Dr. Ebers, um, uh, you can start. Well, there, there, are all sorts of, uh, there are all sorts of declared and uh, undeclared uh, actions that we could take, um, to mention just one. Um, we could play count the submarines from North Korea. Uh, we could play a game of subtraction. Uh, this wouldn't necessarily have to be announced. Uh, the North Korean side would know about it. Um, it's, it's certainly conceivable and possible. There are many other things which we could do which wouldn't necessarily have to be. Explain a little more what you oh. mean when you say well, count so the submarines. Part of, uh, part, of the, uh, part of the developing North Korean threat uh, is the possibility of submarine-launched ballistic missiles, which mm -hmm. in theory could come near the U.S. homeland right. or other places. Um, what happens if they don't return to port? 
things were very quiet out in the sea. Um, there, there are many different things which we could do, and we have a great number of options. Um, but my point in my, uh, in my prepared remarks is that we need to coordinate these. We need to think about how these link together and how to make the pro a bigger problem into a smaller problem rather than the other way around. Some of that will involve cooperation with our allies. Some of it will involve dialogue with countries that aren't our allies. Uh, but the, the key thing that I would uh, submit is that the North Korean government, for all of its other defects, is very, very careful in thinking about strategy and how its different actions advance its uh, agenda. And we should be thinking about that as well. So um, just to pursue the issue that Senator Young was raising and that you talked about, Dr. Eversat, when you said that um, when you suggested that as their fear, fear of the THAAD system has been reduced, China has increased its coal exports. So I assume um, you're making the assumption that China, if they're afraid of actions that we are taking, they're more likely to um, take action in North Korea that we would encourage. And you have indicated that in other ways in your statement. So should we be thinking about trying to encourage Japan, um, other of our allies in, who knows, Philippines, I, I don't know who else, in um, Southeast Asia to helping them adopt similar missile defense systems? And what do we think the response from China would be to that? Would that help? in terms of encouraging them to further help us to address North Korea? So, Senator, in, in my own view, uh, missile defense wins on its own merits. And as uh, my colleague and friend Scott Snyder was saying, uh, I, I don't think it should be, I too don't think it should be used as a bargaining chip in relations with other, uh, other governments. That being said, the prospect of implementing missile defense systems uh, with robustness in Japan and ROK may indeed have an impact on China's behavior towards the DPRK and in a way which we might find positive. And do we think that China would like to see a reunited Korean peninsula? Do we think that they see that as being positive in their interests? Either um, one of you? Scott, do you want to? I don't think China would object to a unified Korean peninsula if uh, Beijing could be assured that the Korean peninsula is going to be friendly to China. Uh, and so the core issue as they look uh, forward uh, toward the possibility of unification is really the question of the nature of the security relationship with the United States of a unified Korea. And divided, uh, divided Korea is not at all against China's current interests. Uh, it has right. tolerably good relations with both. And can I, I'm out of time, but let me ask one final question, if I could. And that is, uh, there's been the suggestion, um, President Trump has made this statement, and as have others, that China has absolute control over North Korea. Some of the statements that you all have made in your testimony suggest that you may not totally agree with that. Do you think if China chose to put enough pressure on North Korea that it could actually influence their um, ending their nuclear weapons program? 
China's dilemma is that it has all the leverage in the world economically, but uh, it's afraid to use it for fear that uh, the consequences would be counterproductive to China's own national interests. The, the, the Chinese uh, government has a long and very bad relationship with the government in Pyongyang. And both leaderships at the moment seem to vie to show, uh, to compete, to see which one holds the other in lower regard. Uh, that being said, uh, it's very hard to imagine how the Chinese government or any other foreign government could force the DPRK to sacrifice what it regards as a vital strategic interest which is the development of its nuclear arsenal program. Thank you. Senator Gardner. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, again, and thanks to the witnesses for your patience and uh, helping us understand this issue a little bit further. Uh, just so I'm clear, uh, how, where are we on a scale like zero to 100 in terms of planning for reunification of the peninsula? Are we uh, at a 50, or are we at a 10, or are we at a 90? Where are we at? Scott may have a different number. I'd say about a three or a four. Okay, Scott, Mr. Snyder. Is that on a scale of 100? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's very low. I think that uh, South Korea has done uh, some planning uh, of its own, uh, but uh, there really is not uh, a robust uh, alliance uh, planning mechanism for Korean unification. So and has China been a part of any discussion taking place on a reunification plan? No. Uh, efforts by the U.S. government to uh, engage with China on any aspect of change on the Korean Peninsula involving uh, instability or contingencies has, as far as I understand, not been very successful. So we had the six-party talks. Obviously, they failed. Um, so why haven't we proceeded with greater plans for reunification of the peninsula involving all that we can uh, to then settle on a, a way forward with the North Korea regime. Not with them, but basically hoisting it upon them. Uh, I, I can explain some without excusing. Uh, for the long period of the sunshine policy in the South, uh, pro-sunshine uh, policymakers uh, had the posture that such discussions or deliberations would be provocative to the DPRK regime. So they simply didn't even want to uh, be seen thinking about such questions. Uh, there's also been, um, there has been a very reactive tendency in our approach to North Korean policy. We respond. North Korea decides we respond. Um, some of us have been arguing for a very long time that we need to have a proactive strategy of threat reduction, which would include reunification planning, um, but that hasn't been institutionalized in the U.S. ROK relationship or relationship with other allies. Uh, Mr. Schneider, you talked a little bit about defectors and uh, encouraging information to the regime, particularly the elites in North Korea. Uh, the bill that we authorized, I think, I believe authorizes $10 million uh, to help provide additional information, uh, ways to get information to the people of North Korea. Uh, the State Department has rolled some of those out, some of those dollars out. What more can we be doing for freedom of information to get that information to encourage the people of North Korea to think differently about the, the, the maniac that is Kim Jong-un? Well, it's a dynamic situation, I think, because uh, actually within the North Korean market, even uh, information methods are evolving. 
Um, uh, there may be areas in the um, uh, information penetration area that really would belong in the intelligence sphere uh, that uh, could be uh, examined more carefully. Uh, and of course, there's a need, I think, to uh, try to uh, expand uh, broadcasts, especially uh, broadcasts containing South Korean content uh, to broader uh, groups. With broadcast radio, Korea. television programming, all of the above? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's uh, taking into account that there are certain times of day that are more effective than others. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those uh, avenues. Um, actually, I think that over time we've seen proven empirical evidence that it is working. What about things like USB drives? There have been talk about that. Is that an effective method? Uh, I think for some segments of the North Korean um, uh, population, yes. In terms of our alliance with Japan, uh, Korea, and the United States, what steps do we need to take to, to continue to increase that relationship? Uh, obviously, Japan and Korea entered into an agreement over intelligence sharing, uh, despite some of the challenges that South Korea has seen uh, in, in its government. Uh, what more can we be doing to help bolster the, the uh, trilateral alliance between uh, through the three nations. Well, Senator, um, the, the weakest link in the trilateral relationship, um, despite some improvements in the past year, is the ROK-Japan link. Correct. Uh, we, can, uh, we can encourage uh, better cooperation between Seoul and Tokyo, but we can't uh, command that to happen by ourselves. Uh, the... Um, the gap between the ROK and Japan is one of the opportunities for North Korea in trying to find cleavages and areas of difference uh, with the alliance. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. I know Senator Cardin wanted to enter some material for the record. Mr. Chairman, first let me thank both of our witnesses. I, I, I found this hearing uh, to be uh, very informative, uh, but certainly uh, our options are, uh, in some respects, uh, very heavy. So I, I thank you very much for the uh, information. I would ask consent that statement from former Senator Nunn be made part of our record. Without objection, it will be entered. Uh, I just have a couple of brief questions. Um, as I listen, the uh, short of the extreme measures of some type of kinetic activity, uh, or absolute regime change. Is it even a realistic goal anymore uh, to talk about the denuclearization of the peninsula? Um, it's, it's, certainly, uh, it's certainly an objective that we can consider to proclaim and to attempt to further. It may have, uh, it may have virtues in creating uh, cohesive alliances and coalitions internationally. It may create additional pressure to uh, uh, allow us to create additional pressure on the DPRK. Um, but as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, what I think we might best be served doing now is trying to focus on reducing the real existing killing force of the North Korean government. And you want to expand on that? 
Would you please expand on that, the existing killing force? Oh, yes. In my, um, in my remarks, uh, in my prepared statement, which I've submitted to the record, I try to outline uh, briefly and thematically uh, a sort of an approach which, would, uh, which I call threat reduction. Uh, we could call it other things, I suppose. But a part of it would increase the, uh, part of it uh, would involve increasing the effectiveness of our defenses and our allies' defenses against North Korean killing force. And another part of it would involve trying to compromise the augmentation of the North Korean government's killing force, which would have to mean uh, pressure on the North Korean military economy, uh, trying to in, uh, strike at the cohesion of the or uh, the cohesion of the leadership, uh, attempt to alter China's uh, behavior towards the DPRK, which I don't think is totally impossible, focus on human rights. Uh, we, we're all for human rights in North Korea, but I think a great deal more can be done for human rights in North Korea in proclaiming this as an international movement and in uh, preparing, for, uh, preparing for reunification after the DPRK regime. I think all of those things could be helpful. But it's more or less somewhat hortatory to, to make the statements of do, regarding do, denuclearization short of, of, of some kind of extremes occurring down the road. Is, is that correct? Is that what I'm hearing you say? That it's somewhat hortatory to be making statements that, you know, we're going to denuclearize short of uh, some of the extremes that have been discussed. Um, if we if we were to if we were to abandon now our uh, objective or our, our proclamation of the objective of denuclearization of the DPRK regime, uh, this could uh, I think this could have some very important adverse consequences on the very allies that we might need. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that. Uh, I'm just suggesting that we've gotten to a point it seems where short of uh, some really dramatic things occurring, um, they are on their way oh, to a nuclear weapon. And we can say, we can have hearings where we talk I about see, sanctions and all of that, but that's all we're really doing, is that correct? Senator, uh, for, for over 20 years, I've been arguing that the North Korean nuclear problem is the North Korean regime, and we won't have denuclearization until we have a better class of dictator there. Yeah, Senator Snyder. Well, thank you for the promotion. Um, I, I think that denuclearization uh, is really essential. I, I, a lot of people don't view it that way, but thank you for doing so. Um, uh, I, I think denuclearization is essential to our entire alliance strategy uh, in East Asia, and so I don't see how we can abandon it, but it also does not mean that there are not other things that we can work on uh, while we continue to insist on denuclearization as um, an essential objective as part of our strategy. But those things are much more subversive, are they not? I mean, much more subversive than just uh, um, continuing to, to complain about s secondary sanctions not being enforced and those kinds of things. I mean, we, we, act we have to be a little bit more subversive in our activities, uh, or otherwise they are going to have a nuclear weapon. As long as North Korea has a nuclear weapon, I don't see how we're going to be avoiding uh, a regime transformation. A deliverable nuclear weapon, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, regime transformation, whether 
through cooperation or uh, through um, uh, other forms of challenge uh, is going to be um, the way that uh, we have to go. Well, listen, thank you. Y'all have been outstanding witnesses. Uh, senators who've come by have uh, thanked us for having this hearing with the two of you here. We thank you for what you have said and, and uh, your wisdom. The record will, be remain, will remain open until the close of business Friday. And if you could fairly promptly answer questions, we'd appreciate it. But thank you for your time. With that, the meeting is adjourned.